All right, well, it's great to see you guys. Um, so my name's Chris Wagner. You guys probably don't need me to introduce myself, but for the sake of uh, those that may be listening online, I'll just go quickly a little bit about who I am. So um, I thought that was great that Kyle said, you know, it's good that you guys know who you're listening to. So um, these are more minute, so sorry if that looks a little boring there on the screen, but um, there'll be some reasons that, uh, that I'll have the screen there for a minute that'll become apparent. So I'm gonna have a little quiz for you guys, so be ready for that. Um, so anyways, um, part of who I feel like I am and what God has called me to, me and my wife, is um, I'm a worshiper. I've worshipped for 26 years on various teams, uh, led different worship teams as well for the past 20 years, um, worshipped um, in different countries, which has been a, an amazing blessing. It's been a great opportunity that the Lord's opened up for us. Um, and then in the past 12 years, I've begun to write songs. And so um, currently I'm leading worship here, Grace Orlando, which is a great blessing, and my lovely wife Nancy is helping me with that. Um, also, a few years back, I felt like I was trying to really narrow down a little bit more who I was and what God was calling me to. And so kind of getting into the revelation of grace, you know, it really helped me kind of understand who I was. And, and so anyways, uh, long story short, I prayed and I said, well, Lord, I feel like, you know, uh, I love worship. I feel like I love teaching. And I feel like I need to narrow that down. And the Lord gave me a great verse. And this is kind of my, um, my verse that's my call. is Colossians 3.16. Not John 3.16, Colossians 3.16. <laughs> but uh, that's a great one too. But it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I guess I'd never really had that kind of resonate with me before, that you can actually that worship can be a part of teaching, that they can work together, and it's actually what the Lord likes to do. So um, that made perfect sense when I got that. It was confirmation. It's like, well, maybe it's both. So um, that was a great, uh, great, uh, I guess, peace. It gave me a lot of peace. So um, I understood about, I understood grace. God really began to reveal that to me, and I really feel like grace is a revelation. It's not always something that you can just teach somebody. I feel like it's something that has to be revealed by God to somebody. Somebody has to be ready to hear it. You have to see your need. And so I really saw my need in about 2012. And living there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, I was part of a great church there. For the time God had me there at Healing Grace Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And ever since I got grace, um, I haven't looked back. It's, it's changed everything for me. Um, just the way that I interact with God, um, the way that I receive from God, um, even how I interact with people around me and the world around me. It's, it's totally changed the game. And then for my family, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Nancy. We've been married for five years, and we have a one-year-old daughter, Evelyn Grace, who is our gift from God and our joy for our family. So um, I wanted to quickly, this looks like a lot. I'm going to summarize this real quick, but I wanted to define a few things. I feel like sometimes we don't have the right definitions of words, we can be talking about things and people will either get confused or else they won't be tracking. So I just wanted to establish um, what some of the words that we're going to be using in our message today. So um, we're going to be talking about faith, okay? And faith is, in the Greek, is pistis. And that's translated to faith or faithfulness. And this is really interesting. I thought this was so good. So depending on the usage in the Greek, the translator has to determine whether they're going to translate the word faith or faithfulness. So we have two different words, but in the Greek, it's all one word. And I think there's a great insight and a reason why God even chose to use the Greek language to write the Bible in. And I think one of the reasons is because faithfulness is a fruit of faith. So when you can truly trust God, when you know God for who he truly is, and you can lean on him, you know that he's there to supply your needs. He's there to supply your strength. He's there to supply all the things that you need by his grace as a gift. It empowers you to be a faithful person. It empowers you to be a faithful friend, a faithful spouse, a faithful worker. Whatever it is that God has given you to be faithful with, it's actually the source for that is God and his grace. And so I th thought that was super amazing that God kind of he linked those two words together in that language. Um, also, this is so good. It says, faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. So I came, I spent some time in a background of a certain denomination, and they were very strong on, on faith, 
okay, like living by faith. And, and I think that um, kind of the idea back there was really good. It started off really good. It started off really powerful. But I think along the way, people began to misunderstand how to use that and misunderstand what was being said. And it began to become uh, an effort of the will. So I'm willing something to happen. I'm trying to trust God. I'm trying to flex those faith muscles. And if I flex them the right way and I flex them well enough and I don't doubt enough and, and all this, then, then I will get the thing that I'm trusting God for, whether that be a car, whether that be a house, whether that be a spouse, a new job, a raise, whatever it is that, you know, if I, and it's involving so much of the will, so much of the focus you begin to see actually goes back onto the person. And over a while in the group, I don't think it was intentional, but a lot of people almost began to see it almost as a status symbol. It's like, okay, well, I'm trusting God enough. Oh, see, I got that. It came through for me. So I'm like, I'm high on the hog now. I'm the top person because, you know, I have enough faith and I willed it enough. And so I kind of have the, you know, God really likes me and I got my brownie points, you know, and I can flaunt that around a little bit, you know. And I don't think anyone meant to do that. I'm not saying that the people that did this, that was their intention. Um, but that's kind of what began to happen because we didn't realize that it was a gift from God. And if something's a gift that you give to somebody and you're not paying for that, you're not earning it, it's not a wage, it's a gift, how much can you brag about that? Right. Right. Zero, you can't, right? It's all, the bragging, the only bragging you can do is on the giver. Mm -hmm. The giver is so generous. Despite, you know, my failures, despite my limitations, he still gave me this gift by his riches, right? Okay, so um, faith as well it says faith or faithfulness is a fruit born out of the union and the intimacy with God's spirit. Um, and we see that in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And so faith is actually, it's, it's a fruit of the spirit. The spirit himself inside you produces faith, produces faithfulness. It's not something that God is saying, okay, well, you know, you're righteous by faith, and so you better make sure that you're being faithful and that you have a lot of faith. And if you don't, you need to try extra hard. You need to dig deep. You need to try to somehow drum up this faith where who knows where it comes from, okay? No, that's not what God's asking. He's saying, allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in your life. Lean back into God and allow him to actually produce that through you. And um, good, there's no young people in here. So I'm going to use this quick analogy, and it's, so between a husband and a wife, okay, how, did ch how are children brought forth, right? There has to be, okay, and we'll just end it there, okay, but, but it has to be intimacy, right? There has to be trust, okay? And so in that time of intimacy and in that time of trust, it's not striving, it's not performing, it's actually, and I've actually uh, seen it where, um, where couples there's all this pressure that's put on them sometimes by the family. Oh, I really want a grandchild. I really want, you know, uh, we really want an Easter nephew or whatever it is. And actually, as soon as that, and with all that pressure there, it's almost like they're having, they're having trouble. But as soon as that pressure goes away, whether there's like an adoption that happens or, you know, just things shift in the family and, and that pressure's not there, it's like magically now, right? They have a, their child. They conceive, okay? And so it's in this area of peace. It's in this area of grace. It's in this area where the love is already there. You're not trying to earn the love. God's already given you his love. You're not trying to earn his acceptance. You already have it. You're not performing for anything because it's already been given. So you can rest. You can relax. And in that place, that is where God is able to birth that fruit of the Spirit in you. Okay, so we'll just kind of move on. So you guys know about grace. Grace is, in, in a word, the unmerited favor of God. And it's a bit of a misnomer, right? Because it's not that it is cheap grace. It's very costly. For us, it's unmerited. We don't have to earn it. We just have to receive it from God. But if somebody gives me a gift, or if I give my wife a gift, right, that gift is, is, I pay the price for that so that she can have it at no expense to her, right? And so it's the same with Christ, okay? We enjoy, as Christ's bride, we enjoy his unmerited favor, but it's only because he paid such a high price because he loved us so greatly that he was not willing for us to live below our, our, our standing, he remembers who we are, who we've been created to be all the way from the beginning, even when we forget. 
who we are in our own eyes. Christ never forgets who we are. He remembers from the beginning, this is who you've been created to be. You're created in the image and the likeness of God. And without getting too far into this, because this is a whole other message, um, but we actually have a YouTube channel called Chris and Nancy. We didn't mention that. But um, there's actually some great, great uh, postings that we've put on there that goes deeper into this about who you are in Christ. And all the way back from the beginning, actually finding Christ in the story of creation. And when you find Christ as a mystery, using the scriptures in the creation account, this is actually when you begin to see where Paul got his material in Ephesians, especially that in Colossians that says who Christ is, that he is the head, and who we are in him. So, you know, that we are more than conquerors, that um, all these things, all the promises, they're actually found all the way back from the beginning. It's what God decided from the very beginning, and he never forgot who we were. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Repentance being metanoia, change of mind. God never changes his mind. As soon as he calls you, as soon as he gives you a gift, it doesn't matter if you blow it big the next day. He's not going to take it away from you. He's going to say, that was probably a really, not a probably, that was a really bad decision. <laughs> Let's go over that because I love you and I don't want you to go through the pain of that again. Because I know who you are and I know that that doesn't fit you, but my calling still stands. You're not, you're not going to lose, you know, as far as God's economy goes, you're not going to lose your job. You're not going to lose your place at the table. You're not going to be kicked outside for the next three days. You're not going to have to go outside and earn it back. You're still right here. So he'll, he'll go over that with you because he loves you and because he doesn't want that sin to hurt you, right? But he doesn't take the gifts and callings away. So from the beginning, being made in God's image, and we actually find from Paul that the image of God is Christ Jesus, the exact representation of the Father. So this is why even in creation, my wife, when we had our child, right, the child was inside her. We were created in the image of God. It's a reflection of what happened in creation. So you're, you're very precious to God. You're very valuable to him, and he's never forgotten who you are. All right, so the law. Um, we'll go through this a little quicker now. So the law is always based on your efforts. It's a covenant that's based on God will do if you do da-da-da-da-da. And not only if you do da-da-da-da-da, but you have to do it perfectly. You have to do it to the exact standards, no mistakes. And James even brings out for us that if you break just one point of the law, you've broken the whole thing. And here's the thing, is that today we kind of, as, as the church at large, we've kind of um, made up our own group of laws. But the truth is that the law is never meant to be something that you go through and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like this one. I like honoring the Sabbath. You know, that gives me a day of rest. You know, I have an excuse to do that. But I definitely want to go um, and, and eat, you know, shellfish. And so I'm, I'm going to go, you know, on my day off, I'm going to go to Red Lobster. I'm going to enjoy a nice big lobster, a lot of shrimp. Okay. And, you know, that may not be the Big Ten, but the law is not just the Big Ten, right? It's hundreds of laws, and it's a composite whole. And James says, if you break one, you're a lawbreaker. It's like, it's like that nick you get in the, your windshield of your car, right? It's like you get that one nick, and you can't replace part of the windshield. No, you've got to replace that whole thing. The whole thing's got to be chunked, and you've got to start over. But for us, we don't have a replacement plan. If you break the law, game over. Break it in one point. The whole thing's broken, all right? So these are the two ways that we can approach God. So let's go here. And this is the approach. Which way do we choose? Do we choose the approach of grace? Are we going to come under grace? I like to think of umbrellas, right? right? Are you going to stand under the umbrella of law? Or are you going to stand under the umbrella of grace? Which one's really going to protect you? Which one's really going to be the blessing? Okay, Because there's two ways that are laid out in the law we can approach God. All right? There's two trees in the garden. All right, so Romans 10, 17 says this, and our message today, just to reiterate, is it's grace where faith works. Grace where faith works. Faith doesn't work in just any environment, 
Okay? Fish can't breathe in any kind of environment. They can't live and thrive in any kind of environment. They have to be in the water. And if it's a freshwater fish, it has to be fresh water. It has to be a specific environment, a specific arena where they can thrive and be all that they were created to be. It's the same thing for us as God's children. All right? We are created for a specific environment. We're just, we're just made to just float around anywhere. We have a specific environment that God has for us, an environment that he himself um, walks in and breathes in and moves in. And he can go into different environments, but he's always, in those environments that he goes into, he always keeps himself within this environment, if that makes sense. It's like a man going out to outer space. You can go into outer space, but you better have your spacesuit on, right? You better have that oxygen flowing, okay? So, Romans 10, 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And probably many of us know this, but that Greek word for God, it's not God. It would be theo if it would actually be the Greek word for God. It's not theo. It's actually Christos, which means Christ. And so, faith doesn't just come by hearing about anything in the Bible that God said. God gave the law to Moses. And for many years, I used to think, well, I want the whole counsel of God, right? I like the nice stuff. I like the warm fuzzies. I like the gracious words of God. But I don't want to just say, you know, God is warm and fuzzy all the time. Sometimes you need to work hard. Sometimes you got to dig deep. Sometimes you got to give till it hurts, you know? That's the whole, I used to think that was the whole counsel of God and that I was so wise by pairing the two of those things together. And yet when I looked at my own life, I was hamstrung. I wasn't moving, I wasn't seeing the fruit, and it felt like God and my relationship with him was getting further and further and further apart until I came to a part of my life where I was just like, that closeness I initially felt with God seemed like another lifetime. It seemed like something that was so far gone that it was like, I almost can hardly remember it. It's like seeing, you know, you, know, you get into a lifeboat and you, you know, push away from a boat, and it's like it drifts and drifts and drifts until you can barely see it anymore. And you're wondering why you're even looking at the horizon anymore. And that's where I felt like I was with God. Yeah. I would get, to be honest and be complete disclosure, I would get angry with God sometimes. I would be so frustrated. I'd be like, how come I've asked you for this a million times and it seems like you don't even answer me? There were literally moments, and thank God I don't have these moments anymore, but I would take my Bible and I would throw it against the wall because I'd be so frustrated with God. And I would be reading the answers. I'd be reading what I was supposed to be having in Christ. And I'm like, I'm not seeing it, and I don't know why. And this is why. It's because, because I wasn't realizing that I was supposed to be living in a certain environment. I was supposed to be under one of those umbrellas. And at best, I was kind of like doing the umbrella dance. One day I'm over here, and one day I'm over here, and one day I'm over here, because I'm going to have the whole counsel of God, right? I'm going to hold on to both of those umbrellas. I'm going to do the umbrella dance, and I'm getting mixed results, and I didn't know why that was happening. All right? So faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, not just the word of God, the word of Christ. Okay? So let's take a look at some examples of this. And when I started seeing this, I was like, oh, it's so obvious. But in the moment, I couldn't see it. It's like the veil was still there, and I, I needed the Lord to take that off. Okay? So some examples of this. How does it work when people walk inside of this environment? Okay? All of us have one or two approaches toward God that keep us under one or two places when relating to God. So, of course, under the law, right? We're qualified by our performances. It's marked by the motto, do, do, do. This is the mantra under the law. Do, do, do. Okay? And it's a life marked by delay. I was always waiting for the breakthrough. I was always waiting to feel loved by God. I was always wondering, will he come through this time? Because there's been so many times where I felt like he hadn't come through. And I was waiting, and it's okay to wait. The Bible even says that there are seasons of waiting. When it goes a month, five months, a year, five years, and you're like, what's happening? Okay? And again, I'm not saying that, you know, even in our waiting, it cannot be, it cannot take long seasons. But what I'm saying is that there should be a confidence. There should be a peace that you keep returning to even in those seasons when you're going through it that I just did not have. Yeah. And it was deteriorating my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's under the law. Um, under the law, all right, some examples. Classic, the Pharisee, right? This, they, they, uh, they were so uh, braggadocious about their righteousness because of their performance under the law. 
not because of the grace that they receive from God, but their performance under the law, their ability to uphold the laws of Moses. And in Luke 1.53, this is uh, Mary's praise about what God has done by giving her the Messiah, right? And she's doing this prophetic song, right? She's just like, in the spirit. So this is not just Mary giving praise. This is inspired praise. This is revelation from God. And in Luke 1.53, she describes the Lord. And we know that the Father, Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they all share these same characteristics in heart, right? So it says, he has filled the hungry with good things. These are the people that see their need. I need your grace, God, because I don't measure up. I see this. It's apparent to me. And the rich, those that feel like they do measure up, like the Pharisee, he has sent away empty. And that's where I was at. I even came to parts where it's like I was reading the Bible and I'm like, I feel like I'm more of a Pharisee. I wouldn't say that out loud to people, but in my own private moments, I'd say, there are so many moments in my life where I feel more like a Pharisee than I feel like, like a disciple or like a son of God. Like, I, I feel like I, I go without. I feel like I'm sent away empty so many times. All right? And under grace, all right, this is our other umbrella where we can be, right? We're qualified by Jesus' performance in his finished work. And that alone, I want to make sure that that comes across strongly. That alone. Your performance will vary. One day you'll have a fantastic day. You'll have witnessed to people. You are kind. You are gracious to the person on I-4, right? You go in front of me. You let four people in front of me. And even the person behind you is honking. And they're like, God bless you. And you feel like you're like, man, I'm doing good today, right? And then there's like the next day you come, come home and, you know, you're, you're griping and you're complaining and everything's falling apart and you have a bad attitude. And it's just, you know, so, right? We know this, right? Our, our performances, it can fluctuate. It can vary. Okay? But the good news is that under grace, God's grace isn't contingent upon how well you perform. Now, that being said, of course we want to perform well. I think that anyone who has a heart and has been born again, they truly desire to do the right thing. That's what we want to do. We're not looking to fail. We're not looking for opportunities to sin. We know that sin kills, sin destroys. God doesn't want us doing that. But one of the ways to overcome sin, the best way to overcome it, is to know that we're secure and we're solid and our Father's favor doesn't depend on how well we do. Yeah. Okay? So we're qualified by his performance, his finished work. That's our, our relationship with God is on solid ground. And the MO for that type of life is done, done, done. So I have already arrived, okay? That's, that's part of the, the motto there. I've already arrived. I'm not trying to get something. I'm not trying to please God enough to get something from him. He's already freely given me everything. I start from a point where that's, that part's finished. That's done. And when I came into grace, this was a little bit of a, a struggle for me because I was like, I've spent all my Christian life trying to figure out how to get something from God. And now that whole method of operation for me was over because it had already been freely given. I have it. It's mine. I may have to explore that and understand that a little bit better and get comfortable with that. But as far as getting it, it's mine. I can walk into the fridge and get whatever I want, however much I want, however often I want. And so it's like, wow, so what do I do with all my time? And God had to actually teach me what I was going to do with my time now. <laughs> and it's actually much more productive. I'm actually much more happy, right? But that took some time, right? When you come out of Egypt, you have to learn a new way of life. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son. You're on the top. You're the head. You're not the tail anymore, okay? So my story... Um, um, Actually, that's, here, let's go back. So let's go to this part. It says, note Jesus' mission statement. So Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? He was the embodiment of grace and truth. So he was the living manifestation of how someone lives this out. And this, I think, is so telling, right? He went to, to John the Baptist. He was, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. The voice spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, Right? Amazing. There's a picture of grace right there. The heavens are open. They're not closed to you anymore. The Father is constantly speaking his favor. He's constantly claiming you as his child. That's my boy. That's my girl. Man, I'm so proud of them. I see them. My heavens are open to them. All right? And the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. And so the gifts of God are just coming down. And it says they alight on you. I had to look up what that was when I started doing word space. Like, what does alight mean? So it means not just that it landed on him, but it, that it stayed on him. And this was revolutionary. 
Because Jesus marks the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of a new way, right? And so before, when the Holy Spirit would come, it would come on someone for a task. It would perform the task like Samson, right? He'd pick up that jawbone. He'd slay like the enemies of God, like a thousand, and protect God's people by doing that. And then the Holy Spirit would leave until the next time that there is needed to be a mighty act. But with Jesus, he broke the mold, right? The Holy Spirit stays on you, it remains on you. And so now for us, when we trust Jesus, when we receive him, when we believe this good news, we're actually spiritually brought into Christ, who is under the open heaven all the time, whose Holy Spirit remains on him all the time, where the Father is constantly speaking his good opinion all the time, and that's where we live. We live in the manifestation of grace and truth. And look at his mission statement. This is so telling for those of you to um, looking at which umbrella do I live under? Do I live under a mix? Do I live under the, under the quote-unquote whole counsel of God? Right? Listen to what Jesus says. The spirit, this is Jesus' Jesus' mission statement. Right? He goes into the synagogue. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He looks for this place. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Not preach it to the rich. And that means spiritually rich. Looking at your own self. Are you rich in your, because of your ability and what you can do for God? That would, that's the rich that he's talking about. We're not talking about bank accounts right now. We're talking about how you view yourself in light of God. Okay? If you are rich in your own works and your own self-righteousness, you're going to be sent away empty. All right? You don't have good news preached to you. You have more laws, just like the rich young ruler. Oh, well, I've done all these things all my life. What else must I do? Ah, there's a key word there. What must I do? Oh, well, you need to sell all that you have and give it all to the poor if you're looking to continue under law. You really want to be righteous by the law? All right, you thought the standard was here? Look up. Keep looking up. Keep going. Not there yet. Nope. Fail. Keep going. Nope. Not it. Nope. Eh. Try again. That's the path of law, Okay. You're going to be sent away empty. You're going to be frustrated. All right? You're going to wonder, why isn't God gracious to me? Why isn't he kind to me like that person over there? Why isn't he kind to me like Gabe over there? Okay? Or like Saul. Right? This is why. Okay? And he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. When we see our need for Christ, when we see that we don't measure up, and that's the whole point of the law. The point of the law is to get you to that point where you cry out and say, God, help me. I can never do this. I will never get there. And when you get to that point, ah, now I can preach the good news to you. Now there's a place for my gospel to land. Now there's a need. And so now I can preach the gospel to you. The Holy Spirit and all of his power upon Jesus. So that you'd think that's the most dynamic, most powerful ministry, right? I would think so, right? Yeah. Look at the extent of it. He's only anointed to preach the good news to the poor. If you still have an area, and even in grace, I've had to look at areas of my life in grace. The Lord's led me to look at areas in my life. And, he's, and I'm like, why isn't this area changing in my life, God? All these other areas, I mean, you've like transformed. They've like turned around. But this area, it's like I'm just stuck. And he's like, well, are you still trying to perform under that area? Are you still trying to measure up? Are you still holding on to that with clenched fists, trying not to mess up? Because you think if you mess up, then I'll be disappointed in you. It's like, let it go. Just let it go. And let my grace flow. If you fall, my grace will flow. It's okay. I got you, son. That's the ministry of Jesus. We have to come and see our need. It's, that's sometimes the hardest part of this. And I think it's why it's, this is actually the crux of why so many people don't receive the grace message so freely and so quickly. Yeah. We're, we're not willing to go to those areas where we're naked and we feel ashamed and we feel dirty and we feel like we don't measure up. We don't like to see ourselves that way. But that is the very moment where Jesus is looking to make that connection and show you how very strong his love is on your behalf. And until we know how deep his love is, we won't know how much we can truly rest and relax in him. We're still trying to perform. We're still trying to hold up all those things. And he's like, no, I've not made you for that. 
I'm the one. My shoulders are broad enough. My shoulders are strong enough. My love is great enough. And you can fall 5,000 times, and my grace will continue to flow to you. You will continue to see my love. I will not turn my back on you. I will lift you up, and you will see greater depths of my love than you've ever seen. And no matter how deep this needs to go, I will go there with you. I will go deeper than that, and I will show you how great my love is, and that will be the thing that will heal and cure you. I wasn't planning on saying that, but thank you, Jesus. <laughs> all right. And so I want to show you some examples, all right, of, of what this looks like. Okay, so we looked at the Pharisee under the law. That's kind of what the law produces, right? You go away empty, you go away frustrated, you go away not understanding. The Pharisees can never receive Jesus, can never understand what he's up to. They're constantly blind. Jesus himself says you're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they'll all fall in into ditch together and leave them alone. Just let them go their way. They're not. They don't want to listen, all right? They don't have a place for me, all right? I find it's interesting that they're always around him, but they can never understand him because they won't let go of that law. They just won't do it. So they have no need for him. So I want to ask you guys a quiz. These are examples under grace, okay? Who were the two people that Jesus commended for their great faith? Does anyone know who those two people are? It's in the Gospels, or it's two people that Jesus stepped aside and was like, wow. That is impressive. And for Jesus, the Son of God, right? God knows all things, right? And for him to get the, his attention and say, that impressed me, right? That's a huge statement. Um, the centurion? The centurion was one, and... Uh, um, the, woman who was, um, the Syrophoenician woman. Good, guys. Excellent. Okay, let me ask some follow-up questions. What did the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman have in common? What was that? They're Gentiles. Exactly. Yes. Good. You guys are good. You've done this before, right? All right. Nancy, did you give them the answers to those today? No, I'm just kidding. All right. All right. Last. Good. I'm glad. All right. So who were they contrasted against? This is the last follow-up question. So each time Jesus contrasted them against another group of people, who did he contrast them against? Israel. All right, the, the, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, he contrasted them against, as a whole, as a whole. All right, he's not doing a blanket brushstroke, but he's saying, as a whole, generally speaking, all right, he's contrasting this against Israel at the time of Jesus. Interesting, okay? So there you go, there's your answers. Centurion, Seraphonician, both Gentiles. All right, so what does this tell us? Well, if you go to Ephesians, Paul actually reaches out, and because of this new covenant, there is something earth-shifting that's going on. Now, Gentiles are open to receive the gospel. This is unheard of. Even in the early church, the early church was made up all of Jewish people. And so that's the other side of the coin, right? There were Jewish people that did receive Jesus, that recognized who he was, that loved him, that received their Messiah. And so Jesus isn't saying, oh, I'm just putting everyone in the same boat. But he's saying as a whole, though, right, there wasn't a complete reception of Jesus in that nation, okay? And so in Ephesians, Paul reaches out. He's saying, I know that this is different, but now you guys are welcomed in through through the body of Jesus Christ, all right? This has been opened up to everybody through faith, okay? And it says, before, you were outside of the covenant. You were Gentiles. And when we think about it and we really look into it, the Gentiles were never given the law. And if we look a little deeper, really, God never wanted the Gentiles to have the law. That will shock some people right there. That may tip over a few sacred cows in, <laughs> in the church in some areas, okay? And that takes, that's like a bit of a shift. That may take a little moment to kind of digest. But if you look at it, we were never given the law. He didn't bring Egypt out there along with Israel to Mount Sinai and says, okay, let's make a covenant. He didn't bring Babylon out there. He didn't bring the Canaanites out there or the Amorites or the Perizzites or any of the other ites, Right? It was just Israel. And so the covenant was given to them. So we were outside of the covenant. That means that no matter how much we performed, if we did it perfect, if we somehow could do the law perfect, 
I'm sorry, you're a Gentile. You're disqualified. What? Okay, but I'm doing it better. It doesn't really matter because this was not given to you. This is not a contract between us. If I make a contract between me and Saul and we have an agreement, Gabe can't come in and say, you know, and part of the agreement is for me to pay Saul $50 every week, right? Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Gabe can't come in and say, hey, where's my $50? I've been, I've been working for you too. Well, we don't have that contract. I'm sorry, Gabe. Right? So that's the same thing, all right? Gentiles can't come in and say, well, I've been working really hard. Don't you see my work, Lord? I, I do see it, but I'm sorry. We don't have a covenant. We don't have a contract. Right. Not for that, okay? Now, so they're disqualified. The Gentiles are disqualified. Why would God turn to them and bless them anyway? All right? It's because of their... Rejection. Not rejection, Starts with an F. Faith. Right? So he starts walking away. We're talking about the Syrophoenician, right? He's, he, he ignores this woman. He basically treats her, he calls her a dog. I mean, if you want to really offend somebody, right? That's what you're, okay? And so she's crying out after him, right? Lord, you know, Lord, Lord. And they just keep walking. And just, Lord, they're grasping at his feet. And it gets so uncomfortable, she's following them around so much that his disciples come up to him and be like, oh, Master, it's getting really uncomfortable. Can you just tell her to go away? Yeah. Like, she's causing a scene. Like, there's people around us, and they're getting uncomfortable. I'm super uncomfortable. I don't know how you're not uncomfortable. She's crawling in the dust. This is getting really awkward. Like, please, please send her away. Just stop this thing. Yeah. Like, put her out of her misery, you know? And, but Jesus knew something. He's like, Abraham was a Gentile when I spoke to him. He followed me out of Ur of the Chaldees. He received the promise. He's like, there's something here. And so he kept, he kept waiting to see. Just because Jesus was God, right, he emptied himself of, the, his, of, um, of his, his abilities as being a deity, right? He was fully deity. He was fully God. He kept his, his identity right? He kept his position, but he became like a servant. Yeah. So his omniscience, the only things that he would know would be things the Holy Spirit would tell him. He wasn't just like, he wasn't just like, yes, I know everything, all-knowing power <laughs> as a man on the earth. No, he, he's left that part behind when he came into human flesh, and he's like, okay, anything I'm going to hear from God, I'm going to have to hear it through the Spirit. Yeah. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit was like, just keep going. There's something here. And so he, he trusts it. Okay, I'm going to keep going. He said, Lord, Lord. Nope, sorry, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's another interesting part. Not all Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I know those that are mine. And he says, there will be those that are on this mountain and this pasture, and then there will be those that are in the other pasture as well. Right? So he was sent to them. And then he keeps going, and she says, Lord. And he's like, no, it's not right to give crumbs right? Or give the children's bread to the dogs, right? Mm -hmm. To throw it to the dogs. Mm -hmm. Wow. If you want to insult somebody and get them to leave, that's a good way to do it, okay? And to hate you, and to slander you on Facebook, and right. the like, okay? <laughs> but she responds. She had faith, and she responds to Jesus, right? It was like a test. And she responds back, and she says, true Lord, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table. And he's like, <clears throat> Woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. And it says, let it be done unto you. And it was done in that moment. That's what that wording in the Bible talks about in that hour. It doesn't mean like 60 minutes later it happened. In that moment it happened. That's when it broke through for her. And so they were not under law. The Gentiles were not given law. And the law actually inhibits your ability to trust the Lord. Why? Because it takes your eyes off of Jesus and him alone, and it starts, at best, dividing your vision, right? I'm looking at Jesus, okay, he's my salvation, but I need to do my part, and so I'm kind of, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing the umbrella dance again, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is you're not getting the full effect, the 100% full effect of being under grace. You're inhibiting it, you're hamstringing it. You might start going, 
uh, in grace, but then you switch over to law and your works and you're back to the beginning again. Right. It puts you back. It's just like in Monopoly, right? right? Go back to the beginning or go to jail, right? It says the law actually was meant to hold us in custody. So even though the law is holy and righteous and good, you can't find anything bad in the law. The law actually speaks about Christ, but it's not really for you to complete. It was given to show us our sin, our need for a Savior, and who that Savior would be. And that Savior would fulfill it for us. And then we would trust that Savior and receive his righteousness by faith. And that's what would qualify us for all the gifts. All right, so it goes on. Who are other people that received from the Lord? Sinners, tax collectors, criminals, the sick and infirmed. All right, all of these people would have been disqualified under the law. Just like the thief on the cross. I love D.L. Moody's quote, and so I put that up there. And it says, The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work, and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. Think about that. You're pinned down. You can do nothing. This is a picture of grace. He could not lift hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. With hands nailed down, foot nailed to the cross, he received it by faith. So in fact, the good news says this under grace. This is Paul preaching in Acts, and it says, By him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That is a powerful scripture. And in the ESV, it doesn't just say justified. The ESV puts it freed. Are you being held back by something? Do you find yourself returning to some of the same bad habits or maybe even same addictions? By Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all things from which you could not be set free from by the law of Moses. This is your way out. Again, if you're finding an area where you just feel bound up and it's like, man, I just can't seem to escape this. I try. It's not that I don't try. I've been there before. It's not that I don't try. I'm, I'm spending all my effort towards this, and I keep going back to the same place. Maybe it's time to switch under a different umbrella. So how does this practically work in our lives? We need to hear Christ and not law. There's a few steps that we can do that I've found that work, have helped me in this journey. This exodus out of, right, out of law and fully into grace. Not straddling the post anymore, but fully in, all in, right? Romans 10, 17, right? We've already been over that. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing not the word of God, the word of Christ. If you're struggling, if you feel stuck, if, if all these things are happening, you're not seeing what you feel like you should be seeing, look in those areas and look to see if you still have some residue from hearing God, hearing law, relying on your own self-efforts, you holding on tight and your strength instead of fully resting in Jesus and hearing what he's done. Stay under the gospel. Stay under the good news, all right? Luke 9.35 says this, all right? Disciples go up on top of the mountain and a cloud envelops them and Moses and Elijah, right? They appear with Jesus and Peter's like, oh, this is amazing. I've heard about these guys all my life. These are the heroes of the faith. Uh, this is great that we're here. I mean, we got, you know, backstage access. This is awesome. I'm going to totally make, you know, a great little shelter here for you, Elijah, so you can hang out and we'll just camp out together for a while. Moses, I have so many questions. And all of a sudden, this cloud surrounds them. A voice speaks out of them and says, uh, Peter, this is my beloved son. Hear him. You don't need to hear what Moses has to say anymore. The law, exactly, who represents the law. You don't need to hear what Elijah says anymore as far as you, this is the areas where you have sinned and fallen short. You need to return with your whole heart by your own strength to the, to the Lord, right? Now, I love the Old Testament, that being said. Let me say this officially. I love the Old Testament. Um, Paul, Peter, John, this is the only Bible they had, and yet they were still able to write grace. They were still able to find grace there, and there is grace there. But it's as a mystery. This is what I tell my students. It's a mystery. Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament. and the New Testament, he's revealed. And so when I, when I read the Old Testament, I'm not looking for what do I need to do to please God. I'm looking for where is my Savior who has pleased God on my behalf 
that I can trust in. Amen. That's what I'm looking for, okay? And so that's what God is saying. He's saying, it's okay, Peter, that you have the Old Testament. That's the only scripture you have. But when you read it, hear my son in it. Don't hear what you need to do for me because Jesus has covered that for you. You need to hear about the Savior who's done it for you that you can trust in. Here's another one. This was huge. Do not doubt. Oh, man. Okay. So how does this practically work? Matthew 17, 20 says this in the NIV. And I bring up the NIV because I used to read that all the time, swore by it, wouldn't read any other version than that. But NIV, like, and I'll say this too, like any other version does have its flaws, okay? No Bible version is perfect. I think there's some that are better than others. I do prescribe myself to certain more than others, but I also do my research. Do your research. If there's a verse that's just rubbing you the wrong way and you're like, well, what? That doesn't sound like the character of God. Do yourself a favor and do some research. Get, get into a, a great website like Bible Hub or um, Blue Letter Bible and start looking at the Greek or the Hebrew letterings. Um, People that translate it, guys, they're flawed, just like we are. They, they have their own lens that they come and approach the scriptures with and that they'll translate things with. So look into it yourself. Let the Spirit lead you in that, okay? But it says here, Matthew 17, 20 in the NIV, it says, He replied, okay? So the, the disciples come up to him. They failed at something. They, it didn't work where it's worked before. And they're like, we don't understand this, Jesus. So they ask him why it didn't work. And he says, he replied, because you have so little faith. All right, but that's not a great translation, because when we read that, we think, well, I need to get more faith. I need to work on my faith. And now we're back to, you know, where I spent some of my time in the church, right? Flexing your faith muscles and having to, you know, bench press your, your faith weights and all that stuff, right? All right, because you have so little faith. That's a bad translation. We'll get back to that. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, all right? So this, is, this already doesn't sound right. You have little faith. But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which Jesus told, said in another area, it was the smallest seed, but became the biggest garden plant, right? Okay, this doesn't sound right. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. All right, so the problem is I have such little faith, but then if I have just even the smallest amount of faith, I can do amazing things. <laughs> this doesn't make sense, right? So you've got to look it up. New King James Version does a lot better job. It says, because of your unbelief. So here's the thing. You can have the smallest amount of faith. You can move mountains with it. And there's only one measure given anyways. And when we continue to read in the New Testament, Paul keeps talking about the faith of Christ, the faith of Christ, the faith of Christ. So the measure you get is the faith of Christ. I think that's sufficient. All right? <laughs> so, but how does it not work? How come we don't see results? Because we're mixing unbelief. But what if it doesn't work? What if God doesn't come through? See, we're questioning God's character. We're going all the way back to the garden when all the serpent had to do was start questioning God's character. He didn't have to provide proof. He just had to question it, right? Yeah, but the only reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because he knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. They were already like him. <laughs> You're made in his image, right? But it's realizing it. Sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes that's the journey. It's not that you don't have it. Guys, if you've given your life to Jesus, if, if well, really, here's the truth. If Jesus has given his life to you and you've received it, because that's really what salvation is. It's not you giving your life to God. He doesn't need your life. <laughs> all right? It says in Acts that he gives life and breath and, and provides everything to all people. So he really doesn't need your life. He's looking to give his life to you. He's got it all. And when you have it all, I've been in a place where I've had abundance and I've had lack. But when I have abundance, I have more than enough. My joy that I find, even just as a human being, is to, to give that away to other people. And, and that way they share my joy. And that's what gives me a kick. It's like, wow, now you can experience what I'm experiencing. And we have fellowship together because you're enjoying the same thing I am. We can talk about it. We have something in common now. And that's what the Lord's looking for. Yeah. He's like, I want to invite you into my life mm -hmm. so that now we have fellowship. We can understand one another. We can kick back and say, isn't life great? Yeah. I love this. You know, I'm so glad you came along for the ride. You know, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for us to understand who he is. And in that, we understand who he is. And we understand his heart even better. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, okay? So, 
It's the unbelief that hamstrings our faith. So the only way really around that is to continue to find out who he truly is. The law will not show you who God truly is. I'll say that again. The law will not truly show you who God is. It's a contract. Really what it shows you is it shows you your sin. It shows you your need. It speaks about a Savior that will come. But grace says that he is here. Grace says that it is finished. Grace actually takes you there. Grace, grace gives you all that you need for life and for godliness. And so when you stay under that umbrella, when you keep hearing messages that confirm that to you and don't draw you back into, well, all that's done, but you still need to do this. Really? Because my Lord and Savior, when he died on the cross, said it is finished. And that's an accounting term that means paid in full. On that tree, Adam ate from a tree and got us into this mess. Jesus walked in and fulfilled the law completely, embodied it. And that's why it says that, you know, the enemy is now disarmed. Principalities are, not, are now disarmed, having the law been nailed to the cross. I, th I thought about that for a long time. I was like, how do you nail the law to the cross? That seems so odd. But if Jesus actually went through and he fulfilled the law, and you could actually look at his life and say, oh, that's the fulfillment of that scripture. Oh, that's the fulfillment of that scripture. Oh, that's what that always meant. Oh, th and he's doing that. That is his life. And he just walks that out by following the Spirit. And he follow and he's done, when he reaches the end of it, and John says that, and to basically wrap up the scriptures, he asked for wine. So that was the last thing he had to do. He asked for that cup of wine, right? He says, I thirst. And then he took the sour wine and he says, and right after that moment, it is finished. He wrapped it. That was the last check he had to do. He checked them all and he had one left and he checked it. And he, I tell my scholars this all the time, Jesus was not weak on the cross. He didn't have his life taken from him. He had so much righteousness in the life of God that death couldn't overcome him. It didn't matter how much you whipped him. It didn't matter how much you tried to kill him, how much you threw him down, how many times you drove nails into him. How many times did people try to kill him? They tried to kill him in his hometown and throw him off the cliff. It said he walked right through there. It said they tried to stone him another time, and he just walked through the crowd, and they couldn't hold on to him. The righteousness of God protected him, and at that point, it said that he had to dismiss his spirit. He said, okay, I'm ready now. My mission is complete, and so spirit, now you can be dismissed. That is power. He laid it down. When he said he laid it down willingly, he truly laid it down willingly. Amen. He did it for us. Don't, this is a huge one. This is one that I feel like so many people don't, don't understand. We're about to wrap up here. But it says, it says, do not compromise or mix the gospel message, the grace message. This is huge. I think this is an area where people struggle the most when they start hearing grace. I've met so many people that want to take grace and they want to take it almost as a topic or something to add on to what they already know. Yes. And it's not that. It, it's, it's not, again, like getting a third umbrella and trying to juggle all three of the umbrellas. It's I'm going to throw the other umbrella away. I don't need it anymore. And I'm going to completely hold on to this one. I'm going to completely trust in what Jesus has done, what he's finished for me. That's it. I don't need anything else. So... Galatians 5, 7 through 10 says this. Um, Paul's writing to a church that has gotten grace, and then people have come in that have started saying, well, look at the law. The law says that if you're not circumcised, this was their issue back in those days, if you're not circumcised, you'll be cast away from your people. Oh, God, well, we haven't been circumcised. Well, I guess all the guys have to do that now because we don't want to be cast away from the Lord. So you start slowly... Right, stealthily drawing people back under the demands of the law. And before you know it, Christ has become of no effect anymore. It feels, like I said before, like that boat that slipped off into the distance, and you can hardly remember what it was like to be aboard that ship. All right? And he tells them, and he says, he hears about this, so he writes them. This is probably Paul's most uh, heated letter that he writes. And remember, guys, he's writing Romans. He's writing to the Corinthians, and I think Andrew Farley said this one time. He said the Corinthians, back in the time of Paul, was like Vegas on steroids. Like it was, it was sin city to the max, okay? And his tone is not to them as it is to the Galatians. 
This is where he gets the most upset, and he lays his foot down. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He pronounces a double anathema, a double <laughs> curse. Let him, right, who's basically saying these things, let him be cursed, all right? This is his most scathing letter, and the whole issue is not about a certain sin. Oh, well, you have problems with this. Oh, well, you're doing this. Oh, well, you're getting drunk. Oh, well, you're still stealing. The, the point that he gets and why he's so upset is where all these little, what I'll call little sins, these uh, works of the flesh, as Galatians puts it, comes from one root. And this one root is being under the law. The law produces sin. It makes sin multiply. So Paul is a smart man. He has revelation from the Lord. He's not going to go pluck off all the bad fruit all the time and then wait for the next season and pluck it off. And then there's, there's fruit that fell to the ground and now it's making another tree. And he's not dumb. He's going to go right to the root. He's going, it's going to say, this is the root issue that you guys aren't seeing. It's under the ground. It's missed by most people. But he said, where all of this stinky fruit is coming from is something that's far worse than all of that fruit put together. And he goes, it's the fact that you're leaving your first love. You're not trusting them. You're being seduced to come away and trust in someone else. You're being seduced to come and flirt with Mr. Law instead of with your bridegroom, Jesus, who is more than enough for you. All right? And so there's another time as well where Jesus comes down the mountain of transfiguration. And we'll wrap up. And he says this. He says, he sees this crowd around his disciples. He leaves most of his disciples down there. It's just him. It's Peter, John, James, and him. And they come down, they see this huge crowd. And it's surrounding his disciples. And in the middle of the crowd with his disciples are the Pharisees arguing with his disciples. They've probably been up on this mountain. When you look at this mountain, it's a tall mountain. They were probably up there maybe for a few days on this journey. And so they come back after a few days and this is what's happened. There's people asking for healing. The disciples aren't able to heal with them. The Pharisees are arguing with the disciples, and all the people are gathered around watching this whole thing take place. And so Jesus comes down the mountain, and like any good teacher or any good rabbi, he's like, what are they saying to my students? Because I've taught them, and I know these guys teaching, and it is exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to instill in them. So he goes over there and he says, what are you talking about? <laughs> all right and the guy that needs healing for his son is the first to speak up he says lord i brought my son to your disciples to see if they could be healed and, and they can't cast him out and so jesus takes him he brings bring the bring the boy to me ask some questions and then he casts him out right but what he says first is telling and he says this jesus said to him um Oh, this is what the man says in verse 22 in Mark 9. He says, and often, he's talking about his son, often he's demon-possessed. He's thrown, the demon has thrown him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Listen to that. If you can do anything. There's already been doubt sown. Why? Because the Pharisees have been there. They've been spewing out law. They've been spewing out that you need to do this, that you have to be this to receive from God. And that's what's gotten into their heart, all of this doubt this other message other than the gospel that you have to measure up to here to be able to receive from God. And Jesus says to him, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. And here's something, here this interesting, the NIV actually gets this one right and the New King James does not. The way the NIV says it is, if you can. Jesus is like, this is what I do. Have you not heard? <laughs> Maybe you don't know, all right? It, I'm not requiring anything of you that you have to measure up. All I'm asking is that you trust me and come to me, and I'll take care of the rest. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Is he talking about the man? He's talking about himself. Jesus never doubts. He always believes. He knows the Father. He came to reveal the Father. He said, I know my Father well. I trust him completely. Anything's impossible for me. If you can't do it, don't worry. Bring him to me. I'll take care of it. We can do that too. If we're having areas where we're having trouble believing God, we can lay that in front of the Lord and say, 
God, I don't, I don't even have the faith for this right now. And Jesus said, that's okay. All things are possible for me to believe. I can take your doubt and turn it to belief. I can take the situation and I can change it. Don't worry. Amazing. So these are the things that we can do. I want to go ahead and I just want to close in prayer real quick. And I know we have to get going. Let's pray. So Father, I just thank you right now that by your spirit, you are bringing revelation. You're bringing even more insights off of what was spoken. You're going to continue to do that throughout this week and months and even lifetime, Lord. Your word is spirit. It's active. Your seed, uh, it never dies. It's always growing. It's incorruptible. And so, Father, I thank you that you're leading people to understand that they can be completely comfortable in relaxing in you, relaxing in your covenant of grace, and trusting the one who is full of grace and truth. And then in that, they can let go of that other umbrella of law completely. And as they relax in you, you'll find that your arms, the everlasting arms, are underneath them, and they're holding them up for an eternity. And we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.